0: Well, Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. How awesome was worship this morning? Was it not awesome? Amen. Let's give them a round of applause. Man, it's sometimes I hear the worship. I'm like, what do I need to do? I don't need to come out here. They did it all. Our hearts are set straight. Jesus has been glorified. I'm so glad you're here. I am Pastor Turner. Uh, Pastor Greg, as you saw in the video, he's not with us this morning. He's on his way back. He'll be with us next week. But we are going to continue through our series called Salt Light, which we have been going through. And if you have a Bible, I want you to just open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. That's going to be our anchor verse for this morning. We're going to kind of hang out there. And I'm going to continue through this series with you. And I just want to add a footnote to our announcements this morning, how awesome it is to be a part of a church that is thinking outside of itself, Uh, 60% of this offering that we're going to take next week is going to be going to things outside of the walls of Destiny Church. It's going to be reaching our local community and even further into a closed nation of Cuba, which is only 400 miles off the coast of Florida. Most of the time, when we think about unreached people groups or un, you know, un, places that are difficult to get into, we think of the Middle East, you know, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, those type of Muslim nations that are very unfriendly to Christian faith, and in fact, it's outlawed. But literally, the distance from here to Florida, there is a closed-off nation, a communist nation in Cuba, where the gospel is primed and ready, and it is being received welcomingly, and it's, there's great fruit that's happening. And for the amount of money that we can give, we're talking forty to $80,000, it could change the entire island. That is an unbelievable opportunity that we stand in front of, and to be a part of that is exciting for me, and I hope it's exciting for you as well. Sometimes the greatest work we do will never be seen by anyone around us, but it will have eternal effects, and we will only see the results and the fruit of, those, of that giving, that sacrificing, that praying when we get to heaven. And I think many of us will be very surprised at what has happened and what we've been a part of, and it'll be a glorious day when we get there. So, hey, let's start. I just want to say a quick prayer, and then we'll jump into our teaching this morning. Father, we just just bow our hearts and our heads to you right now, Lord God, and we just give thanks to you, Father, for your love, your grace, for all that you do for us. You are good, Lord God. And despite our circumstances, despite the things that we may be facing in our own lives right now, Lord, you are good. Lord, in the good things, in the things that are blessed in our lives, Lord, it is because you are good. And Lord, in the things that are difficult, the trials, the difficulties, Lord, despite those circumstances, you are still good. And we remember that this morning, Lord God. We remember that as we think of what's happening in our world around us, Lord, who you are to us and what you've called us to be. Lord, I pray for our time of, of, of the lesson here in the, in the gospel of Matthew, that Lord, you would breathe life into this message, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us, Lord, to not only just be hearers of your word, but Lord, we would be active in doing what your word says. So stir our hearts, Lord God. We pray for that, Lord. Holy Spirit, be in this room. Speak to us this morning. We give you this time. And we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter five, I'm gonna be looking at three verses. Chapter five, verse 13 through 16. If you have your Bible, read it with me. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If you're not familiar with this passage, it comes out of Matthew chapter five, which is the famous Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. It's probably one of the uh, lengthiest Sections in your Bible, if you have red letter print in there, where you're going to find the most red letter in that part of your Bible. It's actually over a hundred verses where Jesus speaks unhindered about his heart, his passion, and his desires, both for us as individuals and for the church. In fact, the first uh, the first eleven verses or twelve verses are what we call the Beatitudes, and the the word Beatitudes comes from the Greek translation to the Latin to the English. It just simply means blessed, or utmost blessed, or most blessed. And if you look at those sections there, starting in verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And then he goes on to say, blessed those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he goes on, and he continues through. And so he opens up his sermon, speaking and confessing those of us that follow him, his disciples, That we have opportunities to know him and to be blessed by him. In fact, he says, we are blessed. And he connects each of those blessings with circumstances in life. For instance, if you are hurting, if you are lonely, if you are without, he says that you will be comforted if you are mourning. And he goes through a series of life circumstances and he says, for you, disciples, you are blessed despite those things. And I have a promise that's attached to each of those things. He goes on and he moves through, past the Beatitudes and it's what some, uh, some theologians call the, the uh, Messiah's manifesto, if you will. Because chapters five, chapter six, and chapter seven of Matthew, he goes through this sermon in details. For instance, in chapter five, he speaks about murder and adultery and divorce. So he's, ex- he's exposing the heart of sin in the depth of what it means. In chapter six, I'm sorry, he he corrects also, he goes on to correcting them in the topics of revenge and giving and keeping our words or loving our enemies. In chapter 6, he instructs the disciples on the topics of giving to the needy for prayer, for fasting, and even worrying. And then in chapter 7, he warns them in the topics of judging others, of asking by faith and the narrow gate that's exclusive with him, the false prophets that are soon to come, and the foolish builders. And so he's taking all of these things that he he values so much that every disciple is going to need to know, remember, and have in our hearts and promises that we're going to need to cling to, and he's expounding them out on the Sermon of the Mount. Now, I've, just by circumstance, had the opportunity to stand where they believe Jesus performed this sermon, and uh, now it's a banana farm over in Israel that sits along this, the coast of the Galilee. It's amazing, though, and it's beautiful, and when you think about what Jesus did, he would have situated himself at the bottom of the hillside, right along the, co- the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and all of the people would have been sitting above him, and he would have been speaking up to him, and our tour guide when we were there said that the natural amplification that would have happened because of the setting and the way that the hillside was would have been perfect for him to be able to speak details in almost a normal voice, uh, audible voice uh, setting without any amplification and everyone would have been able to hear because of the water and the way the hillside was, the way that it was. It's just amazing to me the forethought that God had that when Jesus in his ministry would take his place at the foot of that hill and begin to speak, even the, the, the hills and the design where he would do this was all forethought by God. He, he has not missed one single detail. And with that in mind, I want to think about some of the things that he's speaking to us in here. Because, as you know, our series is called Salt Light. And when Jesus is speaking these things, he starts off with the Beatitudes and then he moves in and he talks about all of these issues, that, these topics that I already shared with you, but sandwiched in between those is a declaration of who we are and what we are. And we've already read it, but he says, you are the salt of the earth. And then he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. What's interesting about that is it moves from the Beatitudes where it says, they will. In other words, if you, are, if you are mourning, they will be comforted. They will, they will, to you are. And so it's a declaration by Jesus to us as disciples. And so we want to examine what does it mean to be salt and light in a practical way. And I hope that I can unpack that for us this morning as we move forward. In essence, I would say that God wants us to glow in the dark. Yeah. Did you know that in South Korea, scientists have figured out a way to create cats that glow in the dark? Uh, I didn't believe it either. Just Google it. It's pretty amazing. It happened about 10 years ago. They've found a way to use fluorescent protein genes and infuse them into these cats, these clone cats. They're Turkish Angora cats. I don't know much about cats, but I suppose it's a long-haired cat. It sounds like it would be a white, long-haired cat that glows in the dark. But they use ultraviolet light, and ultraviolet light causes it to glow in the dark. But not to be outdone, the Taiwanese scientists have spawned glow-in-the-dark pigs. This is awesome. I've always wanted to be able to see my bacon in the dark, and now... I can, thank you to Taiwanese scientists. That's all a joke, obviously. <laughs> I do love bacon, though. When Jesus mentions salt there, salt is symbolic to an internal aspect in a disciple's life. It's directly connected to what we believe. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's talking about an internal disposition of an individual, an internal presence of a disciple. And he, he talks about how that will permeate our lives. When you think about salt and its aspects to cooking, which it's most commonly used in our world today, I think about how salt is an ingredient that is used for seasoning to enhance the taste of food by making, it, making bland foods more palatable or bringing out the natural flavors and other foods. In other words, when we put salt into any type of food that we're making uh, with the right dosage, it's going to make it taste that much better. And Jesus would say to us that you are the salt of the earth. What's been the ingredient, the secret ingredient that's inside every believer is something that's going to bring sweetness and savoriness and flavor to a bland world that we live in. But it's going to be an ingredient in the life of a believer. It's something that's internal. And I would say that the salt that Jesus is speaking of is our direct relationship with Jesus and our faith alone. That our faith in Jesus is going to be the salt in who we are. It's going to affect and permeate every part of our life. When you think about salt, how when you sprinkle it into the ingredients as you're cooking, just a little bit affects Every aspect of the meal. Now, sometimes we put it on after the food's cooked, and there's reasons for that. I've, when I was doing a little bit of studying, I'm not much of a chef, but uh, I do like to eat, as most of us all do here. We wouldn't be here if we didn't. It's a necessity of survival. But salt makes it that much better. A little bit can affect the entire meal. And just like that, faith works in the life of a believer. A little bit of faith in our life, a little bit, just even, I dare say, a mustard seed size amount of faith can change the course and the outcome of an individual's life. How they live, how you begin to think, what you begin to do, how you begin to speak. All of these things, these areas of your life are affected by the faith or the salt of our lives. And Jesus said, disciples, you will be The salt of the earth. In other words, the internal work that's happening in your life is going to work itself out in the way that you live. But he doesn't leave it there. He goes on to speak of light. So if salt represents the internal effects of God, then light represents the external aspects of our faith. You could say it this way salt is belief, and light is behavior. Jesus isn't leaving anything out here when he says this. Remember, he says, you are both salt and light. How you believe will affect how you behave. What you think will affect what you do. And these things are not separable. It's important for us to understand this. When he speaks of light, light is symbolic of the way that our lives are lived out due to the saving faith that we have in Jesus Christ. So the internal work happens. We trust in Christ as in saving faith. And we begins to do a work from the inside out. And this is common in a believer's life. Most people, uh, when, when, especially when I speak to new believers, they get frustrated about three to four months into their walk with Jesus because they're not seeing the progress maybe that they want. They're not understanding things in the Bible that may maybe the way that they want to or that they see other Christians who have been in the faith much longer understanding or disciplines in their life haven't been developed possibly. And I would say that, hey, guess what? You're getting worked on from the inside out. And what's amazing is that the Holy Spirit takes residence within the believer. Just by faith, we trust. We trust God at his word. We trust the gospel message. And then the Holy Spirit comes in. He begins a work from the inside out. He begins to change us from the inside. And that's a process, what we will call sanctification. It's a process that God uses his Holy Spirit and the lives of believers to make us more like Jesus. The goal is for us all as believers is to be as much like Jesus as possible. Amen? And that's the goal of God's work in your life today. That's why the circumstances that are, you are facing in your life have been purposed by God because he wants you to be more like him. He wants you to be like Jesus. And he uses the circumstances of your life as an opportunity for you to draw near to him and to draw from him and become more like him. Now, obviously there are other things that happen in believers' lives. Sometimes there's even spiritual attacks that happen. But God is sovereign over your life and anything that, is being, that you are facing in your life right now has passed through his hands first. Make no mistake, he is sovereign over you. You belong to him. You've been marked. You are his child. And if you trust in Christ for salvation this morning, nothing comes into your life by accident. It is all purposed by God. Do not be surprised. You may not know, why or what it's all about, but God is sovereign, and in his grace, in his love, and in his wisdom, he's permitted it into your life, the good and the bad. Sometimes good things happen to me, and I'm like, why in the world are you doing this, God? I don't deserve this. In fact, I never deserve it. And oftentimes, when something difficult happens in my life, I go, what in the world are you doing, God? I don't deserve this. The truth is, I do. We all do. So salt is the internal life And light is then the external life. Light is mentioned in the scriptures right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Let there be light. I mean, in the beginning, God said, Let there be light. From the beginning of the opening pages of our Bible, light is demonstrated. It is a theme that runs through the entire Bible. When you get to the New Testament, in in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, starting in verse 1, listen to what it says. In the beginning, doesn't that sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. That's speaking of Jesus. Through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Did you catch that? Jesus is the light of all mankind. It goes on to say in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the dark but the darkness has not overcome it. So what we're presented with is immediately where there is light there will be darkness. In fact, there's a popular song by a band that some of you guys may know of, Switchfoot. He says, the shadow only proves the sunlight. When we're in a dark time, when you see darkness around us, it may be in our world, maybe the situations that we see happening in the news, the darkness only proves that there is sunshine. There is light. And sometimes it's what you're looking at depends on how you perceive things. But this dualism that is is apparent in the Bible, between light and darkness is evident from the very beginning. And so we must take notice of that. It's interesting because in John chapter eight, John's gospel speaks more of light than any other gospel. He says in chapter eight, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again, he said to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there's this parallel with Jesus with life, with him being the light of life, and then we're being told there in Matthew's gospel from the Sermon on the Mount that we are to be the light of the world. So I don't want to confuse you. You yourself are not the light, but the light comes from you, and it is a reflection from God. And the same way that the moon reflects the, the sun, in fact, the the same way, the reason we see our moon in the sky is not because it glows from some internal source. It's because it's actually reflecting the light of the sun on the other side of the planet, and it's shining because of that. And the same way that that works is the same way that a life of a believer is to shine in our dark and lost world. In fact, if you go back to Matthew's gospel there where we were, I want to look back at those verses again real quickly. He says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do, do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, there's a couple things that I want to point out. First of all, in verse 14, he starts off by saying, you are the light of the world. And then further on in verse 14, he says to them, he says, neither do people, uh, I'm sorry, you are a light of the world, you are a city built on a hill. And then he goes on in verse 15, he says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, instead they, lit it, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then lastly, he says in verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So think about this for just a minute. He starts off by saying, You are the light of the world. It's a vast presence. It's a vast exposure. And he says, then he goes to a city. He says, you are a city on a hillside. And then he says, A house. He goes, You put you put your light, you light your lamp and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then he says, in the same way, let your light shine So all can see. And when they see it, they'll glorify your Father in heaven because it'll be connected to good deeds. And we're going to get into that in just a second. So he starts off in this vast, the world, then a city, then a house, and then an individual. I like to contrast that with Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where the apostle Luke wrote this out and he said, Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses into all the earth. He says, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. That's what he says. He says, I want you to start at home, and then I want you to go to your neighbors, then I want you to go to your regions, and then I want you to go to the extent of the earth, to the furthest places of the earth. This is how God wanted the gospel message to go forth. And if you think about this, when you take take Acts 1.8 and you look at this from Matthew chapter 5, it's actually how God wants to accomplish Acts eight, It starts with an individual, you and me. How we live for Christ will affect the world. How we shine for Jesus will affect the world. I think he deliberately uses that language so that we can understand that you and I are light bearers. You and I. We're light bearers of Christ. We're called to glow in the dark. Now, Jesus also makes three statements or warnings about the light that we should take notice. In verse 14, he says that it should not be hidden, that it should not be hidden, that the light should be exposed, it shouldn't be covered over. In verse 15, that all should see it in reference to the house, that everyone in the house should know there should not be anyone who mistakes who you love and who you live for. And then verse 16, he says that good deeds will be the result of living in the true light. In other words, the world needs to see the light of the goodness of God from the church. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been trying to take our heart and our eyes off of building this enclave of Christian comfort, tearing down the walls And moving this out into the dark and lost world. The last series that Greg did called, What in the World Are You Doing? was the setting up for what we're doing now. What are we doing with our life? What's the purpose that God's saved me for? What is the purpose behind all of this? And he was trying to help us get clarity on that. And then he moved into this one where we're talking about what is that purpose and how is it supposed to look and unfold? The problem that I have is that far too many churches are known for what they are against rather than what they are for. And this has become a black eye on the household of faith. It's it's a difficult question, and this is one that many believers struggle with. Well, how do I live for God and shine in the darkness and then also not sound judgmental? Well, there's one way that Jesus does this. First of all, I want to say, put yourself in a position where you might get judged and then deal with it. Far too many Christians hold back. They won't even enter into the realm of the world. They'd rather be in their Christian small groups, their Christian friends, and all of these things, listen to their Christian music, all of these things, and not even step outside of that comfort into the world. There is a reason that Jesus had a reputation of hanging with prostitutes, and being a drunkard, and a glutton. It wasn't just that the Pharisees didn't like him. Yes, they didn't like him. And yes, they were looking for anything to accuse him of. But in reality, they were following around. They were looking at who he was hanging out with, looking at the people that he was loving, spending time with, speaking to. And they drew a conclusion that he must be a drunkard. He's always hanging out at parties. Now look, sign me up. I love a good party. I don't need to be drunk, but I love hanging out. Guess what? Jesus was entering into the realm of where everyone else was living. We've turned things upside down for some reason and we've looked at the church as the people who do the work are the people that stand up on some stage. The guy with pastor next to his name, he's the one that's supposed to share all of this. That was not the intent. In fact, when you look in the book of Ephesians, he says the purpose of the leadership of the church is to equip the people, to do works of service. In other words, it's supposed to be you are jumping into this and carrying the gospel message and sharing the love of Jesus. It's an all-hands-on-deck scenario. But because the church has become what it's become over 2,000 years, we have very little impact on the lost and dying world around us. And that's just the truth. Greg shared stats last week or two weeks ago where he says that less than 4% of our community will go to church twice a month, less than 4%. And those are considered the faithful. It's not about coming to church. It's about being the church. And that's what salt and light is. He says, you are This is what we are. It shouldn't be hidden. All should see it. And good deeds should be the evidence of the light of life of Christ. So let's look at that for a minute. He says in verse 15 that people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And it's very interesting to me. If you know anything about ancient lighting, which I didn't know much about, uh, I had to kind of Google it if you know what a lamp looked like in biblical times, in particular with Jesus is, it was more like a saucer, and they would pour oil into it, and the way it was designed was that if you would take that saucer and you would have, when it was still soft clay, you would have pinched it up and made almost like a spout, then what they would do is slide a wick down in there with the oil in there, and then they would light the wick, and it would light the house that way. And so it was sort of an open saucer, a little, a miniature bowl, if you will, with a wick down in there. And what he would say is, you don't take this lamp and cover it up. He says, you don't put it under your bed, you don't put a bushel over it, but you let it shine for the whole house to see. But there's also another aspect of this that's very important because Jesus is equating the believer, you and I, as lamps. We are a lamp. And what's important is that our lamp has fuel. We're never going to burn and have the fire that we need and be the light that we're supposed to be unless we have The oil, now you guys know me enough, you've heard me teach enough that I'm into big symbolism, I love this stuff. The oil is symbolic of God's Holy Spirit, his presence in your life. And I like to, I have a statement that I've said for years, you can never give what you don't have. In other words, you need to have your life squared away with Jesus before you can become that light in the world that he wants you to be. And we ebb and flow in this a little bit. Sometimes we're walking closer with Jesus and we're, we're understanding him and we're, 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 we're be, be being that reflection that he wants us to be. And other times we allow our lives to drift a little and we begin to burn the oil that is in there and it gets used up and then eventually there's nothing there left. And we need to be refilled. We need to have oil put back in us. We need to be refreshed. We need to ask God's spirit to fill us again so that we can be what he wants us to be, that we can walk the way he wants us to walk, that we can shine how he wants us to shine. We need to be asking the Lord to fill us with his holy oil. So just like a lamp, we're called to shed God's light and reveal his truth, but we can't give out what we haven't taken in. There's two verses that I want to end on. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, speaks about the life and the giving of light. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He then goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, he says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That sounds eerily similar, doesn't it? Jesus said, Let your, your light shine before men that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Peter echoes that when he says, Hey, you're going to be accused of all kinds of wrong things when you make a stand for truth. When you shine like a light in darkness, the darkness does not like it. But guess what? John told us it will not overcome the light. The victory is in Christ Jesus. The truth will win. The reality is is that people may say things about you. They may slander your character. They will not like when the light shines on them. But the good news is, is that when you back up that word with a life that is evident They will have nothing to point at. No hypocrisy. He's saying abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. Peter was warning the church, let's live up to what we've been called to. This is the fight. The good news is is there's grace. God covers over it all. He strengthens us. He renews us. He gives us a new mercy every morning. Every morning is a new, fresh start. That's the beauty of it all for us. But he loves the lost world so much that he wants to reach out to it using you and me. I want to close with just two verses, and these will drive home kind of what we're doing with our Thanksgiving offering. Titus 3.14 says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent, urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. There's a need. Greg talked about Good Shepherd Alliance. It's helping the homeless. Many of us that will give to that will never be a benefactor of that. Most of us will have our jobs, we'll have our homes. We won't be in need of it. And praise God for that. But there's an opportunity for us to provide for urgent needs. And Titus says, let's devote ourselves to doing what is good this way. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And this directly connects with what our mission is in Cuba. We want to be able to help and have an opportunity to bless those that belong into the household of faith, those pastors that are in that closed nation that are bringing the gospel And we wanna help provide for them in the way that God has opened that door. And so we see both happening here. And that's just a real practical way that we're gonna be able to as a church to step into these things. But my heart and our heart as a leadership team at this church is that all of us would grab hold of this. We would see the lost world. We would see that we have been commissioned by God and we've been empowered by God and that we have the light to shine in darkness that will bring them hope and truth. Amen? Amen. Won't you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. I thank you for all that you provide for us. I thank you, Lord, that we have the light of your love and the light of life, that, Lord, even though the world tries to snuff it out and even though our own sinful behavior tries to dim that and cover it over, Lord, you are greater. And the darkness will not win. Lord, I just want to pause in my prayer for just a second. And I want to speak to any person here that has not committed their life to Christ. That you came in this morning and you're hearing the truth about the light and the light of life and Jesus is the light of men and you can't testify that that's what you live in and what you know. This morning, you can change that. God offers the free gift of salvation to any who would come to him by faith. He declares that we have been separated from him because of sin, but he has bridged the gap of separation by sending Jesus, his son, who lived a sinless life and who died an innocent death and rose from the dead. And he stands supreme as God and his blood that poured out will wash over all of that sin and wash it away so that you can stand before God justified as if your sins never existed and you can enter into a relationship, you can receive the light of life that is extended to you. You have to trust that. It happened thousands of years ago, but today it's still changing lives and you can be one of those changed lives this morning. And so if that's you, I just want to encourage you and I appeal to you to trust in Jesus this morning. Just simply say this out loud. I trust in your saving grace, Jesus. Cleanse me from my sins. Make me new. Become the light of my life. Save me and forgive me. Lord, we love you this morning and we thank you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we praise you, Jesus. May we be the light that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.